You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Yeah, you can fade that out. All right. All right. The message. When you heard those words, those of us who got a, you know, kind of old school hip hop flow to us knew that the message was a song by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious what? The Furious Five. Come on, hip hop heads. Come on. That song came out in 1982. 1982. That's almost 40 years ago. I remember it. I was in high school and I just remember this was like the first kind of, it was one of the early hip hop songs that really got real traction and it was prominent and it provided social commentary. The song's lyrics describe the stress of inner city poverty it, it describes the, the stress of, of uh, how a child is born in the ghetto without perspective in life and is lured away into crime for which he is jailed and, and he ends up committing suicide in his cell. The, the song ends with a brief skit in which the band members are arrested for no clear reason. I'm talking about 40 years ago. And it says, listen, it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to, come on now, I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes. Broken glass everywhere. Come on now. That was the message. And it was a, it was a powerful message because we could, we could relate to some of the imagery and they were trying to paint a picture and it was just, it was just an awesome song again, 1982. Wow. And that message, if you wanted to distill it down, they wanted you to know it's a jungle out there. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Sound like today. Like today. But the apostle Paul, and Second Corinthians 5 tells us we also have a message. It's a message. And with the same uh, zeal, the Apostle Paul wants us to be able to project our message to the world. Just like Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five projected their message from looking around at their living in the Bronx and how things were going, they looked and they were able to tell us something. They, they were able to distill something down that we still remember 40 years later. Amen. The apostle Paul says, you believer in the body of Christ, you have a message that you must say to the world. And he starts out in second Corinthians Five And it's really verse 11. I think we only read 18 to 20 in your hearing. But he said, listen, in verse 11, 
And I want you, I want you to understand the same way that, that Grandmaster F- Flash and a Furious Five, they painted a picture. The Apostle Paul wants you to understand some key things about the message so that you can get on board with declaring the message, amen, at every opportunity. He says, listen, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for your sake. Excuse me, it is for the sake of God. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. And here it is. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The Apostle Paul wants you to understand the fervency of the message. Fervency. Fervency. That word, as you know, means what? Intense passion. The enthusiasm. The intensity with which the Apostle Paul is, is, is talking about this message. He's hoping that you can, you can pick up on some of the fervency for yourself. He said there, there, there's a reason why I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this message. I'm, I want to, I want to tell you wh- why I have this intense passion, this enthusiasm, this intensity that's reflected in Acts 18 and 4, which says every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In Acts 28 and 23, they said they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 20, one of the favorite scripture passages for me and Sister Kelly because of Circle Y Ranch, because of a riddle that I gave that she absolutely could not solve and absolutely hates to this day. But it's from Acts chapter 20. I told, I told a riddle at camp that said that somebody fell twice at a meeting of men. This is the meeting of men. The apostle Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 20. And the scripture says they came together. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day again, he says, I'm I'm getting out of here. He said he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps where they were meeting. And there was a man, a young man that was seated in a, a window. His name was Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Paul was like, I got to tell you about this message. I got fervency and intense passion. And Eutychus was like, I'm sleepy. And he fell asleep. And he was so sleepy and fell asleep. Then he fell out the window. He was sound asleep. He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. He fell twice at a meeting of men. I don't know why Kelly 
And the rest of them couldn't get that. He fell asleep and he fell out the window. But look what happened. This, this is, this is intensity here. This is passion. This is fervency. Paul went down, threw himself on a young man, put his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. Somebody dies when you're preaching. Paul raises him back from the dead, puts everybody back upstairs and continues talking until daylight. That's fervency. I'm pretty sure that if somebody fell out dead at this, that would be it. We weren't like, okay, everybody back in, everyone back in, back to your seats. I'm not finished with the sermon. Paul said he only intended to talk till midnight. He talked until daylight. But he said, I got to get this message out. There's a there's a fervency that's there. And you know where that fervency flows from is it's two ring, uh, two, two places. And he tells us right here, Paul has discerned the stakes. He's discerned the stakes and he's driven by the source. Amen. Paul, two things. He's discerned the stakes. And what do I mean like that? He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. He says, fear the Lord, meaning I understand how awesome God is. I have an accountability to the divine judge. I know that I need to get this message out. And my intense passion flows from the from the fact that I understand the stakes. That's why I'm preaching all night. That's why even if you fall asleep and fall out of a window dead, I will come down, make sure you're okay, raise you back to life, and we're going to keep preaching. I, again, he says, I understand the stake. I've discerned the stakes. I know there's a lot of also, I know there's a lot of noise out there about me. Paul says, I know I got haters. He spent a lot of second Corinthians talking about his haters, talking about those that were trying to undermine his apostleship, trying to say that he was taking advantage and doing this and doing that. Paul says, listen, I got to get this thing straight. I understand the stakes because I have a great message. And a great message deserves a great messenger. A clean message deserves a clean messenger. The best message deserves the best messenger. And the apostle Paul says, I don't want any of this noise about me trying to commend myself and doing all of these things. He said, I, I, I want to make sure. Listen, that's what he says. I hope, I hope, he said, what we are is plain to God. It's important. The apostle Paul says, I want you to know I'm sincere and I'm transparent. I'm a, I'm a good messenger. I'm sincere. I'm transparent. Don't listen to all that noise that's going around about me trying to commend myself. That's why the apostle Paul spent time talking about, I never took anything from you when I was there. I worked even though I could have done this or that. I didn't. I want to be the best messenger. Paul says, cause I understand I have the best message. Yes. And I don't want somebody to miss out on what God is trying to tell them because they see a schism between what is said and what they see. So the apostle Paul says, I, I, I need, I, I'm not trying to commend myself to you again, but giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. I want you to be able to say, no, Paul is sincere. I want you to be able to say Paul is transparent so that you can push back against those haters that are hanging around that are taking pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And he says, if we're out of our mind, it is it is for the sake of God. There were some folks that were saying 
Paul, you're literally out of your mind. And, and, and I believe it was in Acts, in Acts chapter, um, 26, 24 and 25, in Acts chapter 26, for some reason I didn't write that one down. This is when the, the apostle Paul was defending his ministry before, uh, before Festus at the end of, of, of Acts. And why is Acts 26 hiding from me? Stuff is blowing around. Acts 26. After, after, after the apostle Paul w- was talking about how he came to the, to, to know Christ and he talked about his experience on the road to Damascus and he talked about being in a trance and hearing voices and all these other kind of things. And, and then at, at that, at that point in verse 24, Festus interrupted Paul's defense and says, you are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. He says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. But that, that wasn't the only time that somebody had said to Paul, you're literally out of your mind. He says, I'm not crazy. It's not about me. It's about him. It kind of reminds me of what David did when in second Samuel chapter six, when David was dancing before the ark. And he was dancing out of his clothes. And, and his wife, Michael, said to him, how undignified is the king today as he dances? And he said, it was before the Lord. And he said, and if you give me a chance, I'll get even more undignified than this because it's before the Lord. I'm dancing before the Lord. And so when I'm focused on what the Lord wants, it may seem crazy to you. He says, if it looks like I'm out of my mind, it is, it's because of him. And if I, if you think I'm in my right mind, good, it's for your sake. But one of the two, I'm going to give an answer to the one to whom I have accountability. So he understood, he discerned the stakes. That's why he could be fervent. Fervent, excuse me. The fervency flows from the fact that he discerned that there was high stakes here. He wanted to be the absolute best messenger because he says, I absolutely have the best message. And then mm, (laughs) he says, the love of Christ compels us. It's not just him discerning the states. He's saying, I'm driven by a source. There's a source in my life that drives me, that compels me, that motivates me. So that when I think about it, it it pushes me forward. It makes me keep preaching. It makes me keep teaching. It makes me continue to share and, and do it day and night and understand that, that I have to do it, uh, in such a way that, that People come to know this God that I'm serving. He said, it's the love of God. It's the love of Christ. Or more accurately, it's the love that God has for us. Amen. He says, when I think about it, it literally blows my mind. The love that God has for us. He says, if you look at first, uh, in first John, it says in first John chapter, Four and, and and verse and verse ten, another verse that I did not write down. What is going on? And four and ten, he said, "This is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our what? Sins. He says, it's blowing my mind. He, we only love him because he first loved us. And then he talks about, Paul himself talks about in Romans chapter five, he says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul says, I I literally cannot get over that. It compels me. I understand then this is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He said, I, I, I can't I can't get over that and I don't need to get over it. It compels me. That's where my fervency comes from. I understand the stakes, but I also understand what the source. It blew Paul away and he did it. Why did Christ die for us? We don't deserve it. He did it in order that we might respond by doing a couple of things. The first one is right there in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 15. What did what did the Apostle Paul say right there in that passage? He said and he died for all that those that who live should no longer live. What for themselves, but for him. Who died for them and was raised again. So he died for us so that we might live for him. Amen. He said he died for us that we might live for him. But it's not just live for him. First John 4 and 9 would tell you that we're not just living for him. He wants us to live through him. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And it's not just, come on somebody, live through him. Romans 6 and 8 would remind us that he wants us to live with him. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Second Timothy says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we shall also live with him. First Thessalonians says he died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And so the scripture is telling us, he says, hey, I want you to live for me. I want you to live through me. I want you to live with me. And he says, listen, I also want you to live in me. Colossians 2 and 6 says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus, our Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And Acts 17 and 28 reminds us for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul said he died for us. And he wants us to live for him. He wants us to live through him. He wants us to live with him. He wants us to live in him. The apostle Paul says, I can't sleep on that. I got to do. I got to respond to his death. His propitiation on the cross. His atoning sacrifice on the cross. It compels me to live for him. To live with him, to live through him, and live in him. 
And so he says, I am compelled to be excited, enthusiastic about this message because I want to respond to the awesome sacrifice that Christ made for me. And if he loves us, then we have to do what? Love one another. That's another aspect of the love of Christ compelling us. One of the things we talked about before and we keep seeing and it keeps coming back when you talk about the love of Christ, that that that. A direct response is found in 1 John 4 and 11. It says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to do what? Love one another. So part of loving others is sharing the message of the gospel with them. I got to try to put you on game. I have to. Everybody you meet, everybody you interact with, we should strategically be thinking about how can we share the message? The message. With them because we've discerned the stakes and we're driven by the source. So that's the fervency of the message. You gotta understand that. If, if, if we're gonna, if we're going to be the true messengers and ambassadors, beloved, that the scripture says that we're supposed to be, tap into the fervency of the message like the apostle Paul did. But don't just tap into the fervency of it. Tap into the potency of it. Do you realize what the message that we have and the responsibility we have to carry, what that message is? Implicitly, and it's not found, it's not found in this passage, but we've talked about it from other passages. Implicitly, (laughs) that message is a message first and foremost of what? Repentance. It's a message of repentance. You remember that from last week in Acts chapter 2 when the apostle Peter finished and he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And what was his response? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent. The message first and foremost is a message of repentance. It's a message of what? Repentance. A message of repentance. And if you looked in Acts chapter 26 again and you and you looked at in that same section where the apostle Paul is is defending himself against uh in front of King Agrippa and and in front of Festus he says this about the message he says so then King Agrippa I'm in verse 19 just so you can understand it's a message of repentance but there's some steps that we're taking. I want to I want to show you something here. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles also. He said this, I preach that they should repent and turn to God. And here's the additional part. And prove their repentance by their deeds. Implicit in repentance is turning away and turning into a different direction, turning back to God. But the apostle Paul is letting us know you just can't say you about repentance. You got to be about repentance and repentance means that you should then do what he said. You you should prove your repentance by your (laughs) by your deeds. 
to that end, I want to introduce you to the gangster of the gospel, John the Baptist. The gospel gangster. Who in Matthew 3 said in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But then you look over in the parallel passage in, in Luke after you said that, and he saw the crowds coming out to be baptized, and he literally says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, no, nah, no, nah, don't, don't start this. Don't say, we are Abraham's children. I tell you from these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And here's what I love. Remember how I said, preachers preach for decisions. Just like Peter said, he was waiting for them to say, then what shall we do? He said, repent. And so when when John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers and in the parallel passage in Matthew, he's really talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, I know you're hanging around just because you hang around in the crowd does not mean you are sincere about repentance. So he said, let me get this out right now. You don't just need to repent. You need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. As an aside, I'm telling you, that's the passage that. I think of when I think about interaction with white Christians. I'm not interested in hearing you just tell me you know Jesus. I'm interested in seeing fruit that you know Jesus. Now, we got to put our fruit on display as well. But the reason that the gospel gangster himself, John the Baptist, said what he said is because he looked in the crowd and he saw who was coming. And he said, I can see through your jive antics like you like it's glass so let me just tell you this I'm, I'm i'm expanding the message not just to say repent but produce fruit in keeping with repentance amen and so i'm not interested in what you say that we all going to be one because of our history come on now because of all of the interaction because of all that we've seen when you when we hear that you've repented we want to see fruit that's in keeping with repentance and if that's how you felt it as well, that's, that's, that's Luke chapter three. That's John the Baptist. That's John the, the, the axe is already at the root. We, we looking for, we looking for trees that are fruit producing. And we need to be producing fruit too. Don't get me wrong, but right now I'm talking about that other fruit. Given our history, given everything that's going on, we need to see some fruit. You know how you do when a black, listen, let's just, when a black person tells you that they are a Christian, you just say amen. When you meet a white person, be given our history. This is just, we're scarred. You say, mm, okay, I'm gonna need to, I'm gonna need to see this. Yes, I'm a believer too. Really? Produce fruit. In keeping with repentance. When I first approached Kim in high school to date her. What she said to me later, she said, what you doing? Hanging around the chocolate. That's what she said. She said, what you doing? Hanging around the chocolate. Because I haven't seen you hanging around the chocolate before. I I seen you hanging around the caramel. I seen you hanging around some 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 
I, I see you hanging around some other things, but, but I need to know you, Buddha vipers, what, what are you doing? What you doing hanging around? See, that's what John the Baptist said. What you doing hanging around the chocolate? I need you, I need to make sure I understand because I, I seen your last three girlfriends. And I ain't seen no chocolate, so I need to know why you're hanging around the chocolate. Now, apparently, I wanted to hang around the chocolate, and I did hang around the chocolate, and I've been hanging around the chocolate for 32 years of marriage. So I think I proved that I produce fruit in keeping with chocolate attraction. Amen. But again, that's because of history. I ain't seen you with no chocolate girls. What you doing hanging around the chocolate? John the Baptist said, I haven't seen you interested in anything that will resemble repentance. So I want you to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the message of repentance. And the message of repentance says, listen, I need you to be, uh, I need you to repent. But I also need you to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the message. And I love mm, This is not my message, but I I love what they said to him. What shall we do then? And he said, the man who has two tunics should share it with the one that has none. Very specific. And the one who has food should do the same. Then the tax collectors came and said, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you are required to. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with what you pay, with your pay. Again, when you're talking about repentance and producing fruit, John the Baptist says, depending on who you are and what you've done in your history and every your, your experience, there's some very specific things I can tell you that will help me to realize and help you to affirm that you've actually repented. There's specific actions that I want you to take. I want you to be generous. I want you to be content. I don't want you to be greedy. There's some things that you need to do. And if somebody asks us what should they do if they want to produce real fruit and keeping with repentance we got to be ready to step up and tell them what they need to do specifically and we are ready to do that if you ask us the question we can give you an answer you need to tear down this system of racial discrimination that is always got a foot on our neck. If you want us to understand that you're producing fruit in keeping with repentance, you'll tear it down. And if we don't see it, it's going to be hard for us to believe that you've really repented. It's tight, but it's right. That's just a bonus. Don't worry about that. We're back to the message of repentance. But it's not just a message of repentance. It's a message of regeneration. It's a message of regeneration. The Apostle Paul says here, no more surface evaluations of people. No more looking at the outside. It's about, it is about spiritual state and spiritual what? Standing. So in Christ, you are children of God by faith. For all of you were baptized in Christ, have closed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female. For all of us are one in Christ Jesus. Where am I getting that from? He literally says, so from now on, verse 16, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once even regarded Christ in this way, we don't do it any longer. He regarded Christ in this way because you'll recall that 
that the apostle Paul was the one who was persecuting. He believed that Jesus, the man, was a threat to his way of life as a Jew. And so he asked for permission to go out and terrorize and to throw into jail and to kill those that were followers of Jesus Christ. He regarded him as somebody who was a threat. He did not understand who Christ was. He didn't understand his love. He said, but listen, we're past that now. So from now on, we don't regard anybody from a worldly point of view. We, we, we know and understand that there's a message of regeneration. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says the exciting thing is no matter what you've done, no matter where you were, if you literally have repented, if you literally are moving towards producing fruit, you are, and, and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. That's really the, 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 uh, the deciding factor. You're a new creature. You can move away from your past and your past behaviors. You are now free to be who God called you to be. And whom the son has set free is free indeed. The apostle Paul says, Oh, don't worry about your past. Don't worry about all of that. You don't, you know, we're not going to regard you from a worldly point of view. We're not going to come on somebody. We're not going to count all of those things against you that you've done. You got a free reset button. Like you went to Staples and bought a reset button. You punch it, you hit it. It's all good because you're a new creature. And now because you're a new creature and, and God has made you over new, you have the ability now to be who God has called you to be. And that's a powerful part of the message. It's a message of regeneration. You can't be new. And in this newness that allows you to be free to be what he wants you to be. Yes, 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 yes. So it's a message of repentance. Hallelujah. But it's more than that. It's a message of regeneration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's more than that. Hmm. Verse 18 says it's a message of reconciliation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us. The ministry of reconciliation. It's a message of reconciliation. We're not just telling folks that they can repent and repent and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We're not just saying that they have been made new once they've accepted Jesus Christ. He says that literally the ultimate goal is this, that it's a ministry and a message of reconciliation. And Christ, beloved, is the reconciler, not just uh, between uh, between us and him, between humanity, but all creation. He's reconciling all things to himself. That's what Colossians 1 tells us, who's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things what? Consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all 
fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things, reconcile all things unto himself, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. He is the ultimate reconciler. He is reconciling everything. And it says, listen, by the blood uh by the blood of his cross and having made peace through the blood of his cross that's the path that allows him to be the reconciler of all things god ultimately before we messed it up and fractured the relationship in sin he said i I created you for an eternal love relationship with me i created you in such a way that you had free will you chose to be independent from me instead of dependent on me we have not seen the relationship god wants to have with us we have not seen the relationship that god had with his other uh, other uh, things that he's created we've not heard a bird sing a robin sing the right song yet because it's fractured, by the, the, the world is fractured by sin. And when that robin sings that sweet song, it'll happen when all things are reconciled unto himself. Creation is literally groaning for the adoption of sons. It's waiting for us to be glorified. He's waiting for the reconciler to set all things right. But in the meantime, in between time, he said, I want you to be reconciled to me in a relationship right now. And I paid a penalty on the cross of Calvary for you to be reconciled to me. That's ultimately the message for us. You can be reconciled to God. The only currency in the kingdom is righteousness. You don't have it. I don't have it, but we need it. And there is one that provides it. If you confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth uh, confession is made unto salvation. We get Christ's righteousness and he gives us his righteousness, cancels our debt and credits us his righteousness because he already paid the penalty for sin. And the apostle Paul said that is that's the potency of the message. The potency is it's a message of repentance. It's potent because it's a message of regeneration, but it's potent because it's a message of reconciliation. Salvation makes this possible. He makes it possible. And this is it. He says that you and I are ambassadors. He is committed to us the message of reconciliation. So it's almost as if the apostle Paul is also telling you, you know, here's the, here's the fervency of the message. There's the potency of the message. But again, you've been drafted as a, as a, as a, as an ambassador. He says, we're, we're ambassadors. That's a privilege to be an ambassador. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was doing what? Making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. That's what he's saying. Be reconciled to God. That's the message. The message is not don't push me. I'm close to the edge. 
I'm trying not to lose my head. I understand that. That That is a message that is telling us a little bit about the urban culture, particularly at that time that continues 40 years later. That is a message, but the message is we implore you, be reconciled to God. That's our message. That's what? Our message. That's our message. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The apostle Paul is so excited. He says there's some fervency here. There's some potency here. I need you to understand that we are Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does. An ambassador represents and speaks for somebody else. They're chosen to be. You got to be chosen to be an ambassador. The apostle Paul says you're chosen. You're accountable when you're an ambassador. You can't just say what you want to say. You've got to say what the person you're representing says. When you're an ambassador of the United States, you do what? You speak for the United States. He says, listen, you're an ambassador that's chosen. You're an ambassador that's accountable. And you're an ambassador that's protected. And when you're an ambassador, you're in a foreign country. Literally, that embassy... Is home turf. Officially, that's part of your country. You're protected. And, and your country should move heaven and earth to get you back, to make sure that you're safe, that you, that, that if you're in any trouble, and that's what God does for us. He says, you are an ambassador of this potent message that says, be ye reconciled to God. And last but not least, as God's fellow workers, chapter 6, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, mm, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's not just the urgent. It's not just the, it's not just the fervency of the message. It's not just the potency of the message. The apostle Paul wants you to understand the urgency of the message. Now, 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 tomorrow's not promised to you. Now, James four says, you don't want to say go here and go there. He says, you don't know what will happen tomorrow again. Now, you got folks in your circle of influence that need to hear this message of repentance, this message of regeneration, and this message of reconciliation, and they need to hear it now. Not that I plan to talk to them maybe when we all get together for Thanksgiving. No, now. We're ambassadors. With a potent message. We gotta understand the stakes and the source of this message. The love of God has to compel us. It has to drive you forward. It has to drive me forward so that we, that we with a sense of urgency will pick the right time to do what we need to do and in the right way and be strategic about it. But we should always be thinking about how to share the message. They always tell salespeople, what, ABC? Always be closing. The Apostle Paul says, always be closing. Think about this message. It's the message, and it's simply four words. 
be reconciled to God.